Dementia Researcher podcast, talking careers, research, conference highlights, and so much more. Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, bringing together early career researchers and leaders within the field to discuss their research, hot topics, and to share career tips. I'm Dr. Anna Volkmer. I'm an NIHR-funded senior researcher in the Department of Language and Cognition at UCL, and also a speech and language therapist. And it's my pleasure to be guest hosting today's show. Now, today we're going to be discussing hydration or more specifically dehydration in older adults and people with dementia. Now, on my clinical days, when I'm working as a speech and language therapist with people with dementia, I often spend time talking to people about eating and drinking. And some of our listeners may not realize this, but speech and language therapists often assess people's swallowing to make sure everything is all going down the right way and to reduce the risk of chest infections and choking. So, in other words, I'm really looking forward to hosting today's podcast so I can improve my own practice. So, um, without further ado, let's meet our guests. I'm delighted to be joined by four amazing guests. From the University of East Anglia, we have Elise Parkinson. Amy Zyle, Dr. Florence Jimmo, and from Age UK Norwich, we have Dan Skipper. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Now, why don't we all introduce yourselves properly? Um, so first of all, Elise, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, so I'm Elise Parkinson. I'm a research associate and a PhD researcher at the University of East Anglia. Um, I was previously a research fellow in the NHS in the field of Huntington's disease. And now my PhD focuses on the hydration care of older people and particularly people living with dementia in care homes. Wonderful, thank you. Um, so let's move on to Amy. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, Amy? Um, yep, so like Elise, I'm a PhD student at DUEA, although I am just about to finish. Um, I'm also a senior research associate and a knowledge exchange associate working closely with uh, Florence, Elise and the rest of the Hydrate group at UEA. Gosh, you've got so many titles, that's fantastic. Um, Florence. All right, hi everyone. My name is Florence Chimo and I'm a senior research associate at the University of East Anglia and I'm delighted to be here this evening. I became, I think I joined the Hydrate Group, the UAA Hydrate Group in 2013. First as a voluntary researcher. So I heard about this lovely research and I thought, oh, okay, I think I want to learn a bit more about that. I volunteered on the dehydration, um, it's, called, it's called the DRY study dehydration recognition in older adults and they were looking at how we can know if an older adult is actually dehydrated and then following on on that I decided to complete uh, an MRES so master's in research uh, again on an hydration study in care homes working with older adults uh, that were residents and eventually became a senior researcher and part of the hydrate group I think proud to that, um, uh, a lab-based researcher. So I've transitioned from lab-based into the people kind of research. And I'm also a trained teacher, science teacher. Oh, wow. <laughs> Gosh, that's amazing. So it's your 10-year anniversary on the project. Ah, right? yes. Is that, yeah, oh my gosh, amazing. Happy 10 years. Thank that's you. 
And last of all, we've got Dan. Oh, I feel wholly inadequate after all that. Um, so I'm the chief executive of Age UK Norwich. Uh, so we're a charity who help older people. Um, and we've been working very closely with the UEA and the Norwich Institute for Healthy Aging for a number of years. And we had the opportunity to collaborate on this hydration project, which um, we know affects older people in many ways. So very exciting for us to be involved. And uh, yeah, look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you very much for being here, all of you. So first off, perhaps Elise can give us a bit of an idea of the scale of this problem. How many people are actually dehydrated and why should people, specifically older people, care about drinking enough? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So we've just recently published um, in the Clinical um, Nutrition Journal um, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And we believe this is the first one that's been done using robust measures of dehydration. And we have found that one in four older people are dehydrated. So that's around the world. So we included 61 studies, over 22,000 participants, um, and this spanned across 12 different countries. And so from all of those, we then found we used the most robust measure of dehydration in older people, which is directly measured serum or plasma osmolality, because as we get older, other measures aren't so effective. So we can't rely on those. So this is the most um, robust measure. And we found that one in four older people are dehydrated. So that's a really high high percentage of older people who are dehydrated. So it's a real problem. So what we found is that dehydration is prevalent, but it's also preventable. So we don't have to put up with dehydration. We just need to drink more. So older people are more at risk of dehydration and they may not know this. So sometimes we hear people say, well, I've never drunk a lot or, oh, you know what? I've never really needed to drink much. And I'm sure you've heard that in your work as well. And actually what older people don't always know is that as we age, we actually start to lose more bodily fluid. So our kidneys aren't um, as effective as they used to be. So they don't concentrate urine like they used to. We might be taking antidiuretic medication, which leads to fluid loss. Um, things like we have a reduced thirst sensation, so may not feel thirsty as much as we age. So because of all those reasons, we do need to drink more than what maybe our body needed earlier in life. So we would recommend people drink at least two litres of fluids in a 24 hour period. Um, the health problems that come with dehydration are significant. So there's things like um, people having falls, which in older age, um, people can take longer to recover from headaches, dizziness, um, it's linked to pressure sores, infections, pneumonia, UTIs, and then more serious health problems like diabetes, kidney problems, cognitive impairment, and then the most severe kind of health consequences which are associated with dehydration is things like increased risk of hospitalization and poorer outcomes if someone goes to hospital dehydrated, like longer length of stay and also increased risk of dying in hospital. So these are certainly not things for us to shy away from. We really do need to encourage people to, to drink more. Mm, absolutely. I didn't hear you say delirium and I know that's that's always for me as a clinician in my clinical thing, clinical role, and um, we talk loads about delirium in older adults. Uh, would you put delirium in that category as well? 
Quite possibly. So the evidence, anything with dehydration is based on kind of cross-sectional observational studies. So there's no causation linked with dehydration and anything. So these are just all links. What we do know is dehydration is linked to lots of problems. So it's quite possibly a contributory factor. Delirium, as you know, is a really complex kind of um, condition anyway. So I don't, there, what we know with drinking is there's no harm in drinking unless someone has a specific medical condition which where they've been told they need to limit their fluid intake. We really do need people to get into healthy habits of drinking more. And so many older people will say they, they drink less because they're worried about uh, continence issues, aren't they? And having to go to the loo overnight. It's but... a real problem. It's a real problem. But actually, the evidence is not strong for that. So there is actually published findings which suggest that what people drink in the daytime does not actually affect kind of that nighttime um, need to go to the toilet. So there isn't the evidence to back that up. Um, but it, it's certainly something we hear all the time in our work. Makes sense. Now, this might sound like an obvious question, and I'm going to direct this to Amy. I, I, well, let, going back to what Elise said, you talking about the serum, using the uh, looking at serums to measure dehydration. But how would we know if an older person with dementia is dehydrated? And while you talk about this, I'm going to drink to demonstrate I'm not dehydrated. <laughs> Yeah, so as Elise said, it, it can be quite tricky because the usual tests, so skin turgo, where you pull on your skin and see if it pops back, don't tend to work on older people because their skin's a bit more wrinkly and tighter anyway. Even things that we might use, like urine colour, um, as Elise said about the kidneys, they don't work as much. Um, having a dry mouth could indicate loads of things. So the best way is to do a blood test, but as we know these can be difficult to do routinely. So it is all about prevention. Some people have said that you know headaches and confusions might be signs, that might be something that you've experienced, but there's no real evidence to show that that's a universal sign. It would make sense on a physiological level though, because when we get dehydrated, it causes our tissues to shrink, which puts pressure on the nerves, particularly the ones in our head and kind of pulls the brain away from the skull. So that can be really painful and cause headaches. And in terms of delirium and confusion, this might be due to lower water levels in the brain. Some people do complain of feeling a bit dizzy, but dehydration affects our cell metabolisms all across the body, which can lower our blood pressure and cause many other of the risks that Elise mentioned, like pressure sores, hospitalizations, things like that. So the key thing to make sure an older person, particularly one with dementia, isn't dehydrated is to try and prevent it by building in drinks throughout the day, keeping a log if you're involved with sort of the care of older adults, um, making sure that you know what they've they've been drinking because we do know that you know people with dementia they might forget that they've had a drink or think that they have when they haven't. Um, so wherever possible trying to stay on top of it. And we know that drinking is a really social activity. You know, you go around someone's house for a cuppa, you bump into someone, you go and get a coffee or you go and get a beer. So trying to build in that social interaction will also help you keep track of how they're doing cognitively, which you might then notice on a person to person level, some of those warning signs that the evidence might not be there universally for. And it is hard to drink two litres of water, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm guilty of 
not drinking two liters of water i'd probably drink too much uh fizzy drinks <laughs> too many fizzy drinks instead but um but i know they all count but even i probably don't even drink enough fizzy drinks but um why might drinking do you think i know you mentioned dementia but why might drinking water or drinking be more difficult for someone with dementia or cognitive difficulties although every type of fluid counts aside from sort of you know spirits um which we don't encourage people to drink two liters of um there is misconceptions about it having to be water and as a notorious water hater um if it was just water there's no way i could reach it but it is about getting that fluid in in as many different forms as you can i know when it was really warm you know you've got people with their ice lollies and things like that can be a really good way to top it up it can be difficult particularly for people with dementia um if they don't recognize that a cup or a glass that's nearby them is to drink from so often mirroring can be really useful so one of the things that we're trying to encourage the the age uk health coaches to do is to take a drink with them and mirror because they do a lot of mirroring in the exercises that they do um if someone has difficulties such as swallowing it's really important to get them to someone like yourself, a speech and language therapist, who might be able to recommend things like thickeners, which could help them to maintain their hydration. Um, and finding out what people like to drink. We found in our work that drinking was a lot easier when people were doing it out of their favourite cup. They knew how much was in it. They knew where it came from. They were comfortable holding it. They felt like they wouldn't spill it. Or for some people, it's about having a a water bottle with sort of a sucky straw to make sure that they're not spilling things and that they're able to hold it particularly if they're shaking and they don't want to hit their teeth um, and trying to make drinking fun wherever possible it doesn't have to be water it doesn't have to be sort of boring you know it could be old-fashioned cloudy lemonade it could be bovril it could be anything that older people like to drink it's just about trying to get the fluid into them as much as possible that's such a comprehensive list of strategies and and you know you're right i do sometimes as a speech and language therapist recommend thickener sometimes and um, and for the listeners thickener is a powder that we put in drinks to sometimes it can help people who have swelling difficulties and um, get things down the right way but i have to say we really treat it as a short-term uh, option because and if in my clinical experience a lot of people um Find they drink less actually and there is some research that backs that supports that that people who have thickener in their drinks drink less and people say to me oh i don't like the taste i don't like the flavor and um, so florence are there any more things we can do to improve drinking and prevent dehydration in older people and people with dementia thank you anna um I believe improving or preventing dehydration will look you know different for for each of our older adults again it depends on where they're living so and it depends again on their level of independence if someone can actually look after themselves you know the way you would talk about hydration with them will be different from people living in care homes that are really dependent on their carers to support them, to serve them the drinks or to take them to the loo if they need to. So the worries are different and I think the context is kind of different, but I think generally we have top tips that we believe could help, you know, 
uh, each of these older adults. I think uh, Amy did, you know, uh, point out the key one, and it's offering them their favorite drink. Nothing beats that. Offer them what they like because they will drink it. It could be in their favorite mug, it could be in their favorite cup, or something they really like. Make it the way they like it because before these people, you know, uh, especially for those living in care homes, before they moved into care homes, that's the way they make their tea, that's the way they make their coffee. So we say, if they're still able, why make it for them? Why not involve them? It is now their home. They have moved away from home into a home. We call it care home for a reason. It is their home make sure you find out how they like it or support them to make it the way they like it so if people have the drinks that they like they will drink i one of the things i did when i was working on my embrace was to actually just stay in the care home from morning to night time and i followed uh different uh people you know all through the day from when they wake up to when they go to bed i look at what they drink what they are drinking where they drink it and we found out that when people are offered drinks like squash, they will just leave it, you know, half cup there, one quarter cup there. But when we offer them uh, things like apple juice, all gone, orange juice, all gone, we're saying, why don't you give them what they like to drink? And sometimes when the, you know, the tea trolley goes round, you know, by the time you move from one point of the care home to the other, it's already cold. How do you expect them to drink that? For people with dementia, why leave them in the in the room when, like Amy said, they can actually forget that there's a cup beside them? When you bring them out, we had social activities with them where everyone is, you know, in the living space and they mirror each other. So they see you have your, their drink and then they are having the drink as well. We had different activities where people actually tried different drinks out. So it's not just tea. Uh, we had tea tasting session where people had like maybe uh, um, strawberry tea, flavored tea, you know, lemon flavored tea. And people had different ideas of what else they could actually drink. So favorite drink is one one thing that will help people to drink well. The other thing we also found is that there is nothing like offering as often as possible. If they are not offered, they are not likely to take it. Even if you are living in the community, if you have people around you that can offer you drinks, very, very good. And because drinking is a social thing, isn't it? So you have a visitor, the first thing you want to do is, oh, I put on the kettle. So we say, you know, why not put on the kettle and have it drink with people? Because now they are limited in where they go to and how they can go about things. I think apart from, from that, one other thing we found is that uh, offering drink or, or encouraging people to have drinks before, during, and after breakfast is really important. I mean, most other adults will go to bed quite early. So imagine someone that has gone to bed from 8 p.m up till about 7 a.m. the following morning. They've been away from drink for 11 hours. That is a long time without any sort of fluid. So whether people are living at home or in the care home, if you can get in and in the morning stroke afternoon, worry about toilet is not as much as when you start getting towards the evening. So if you can get the drinks in early in the morning and afternoon in between meals with meals is really, really great. And with uh, dementia, I think if they can set up like reminders, that will also be good. 
And in terms of preventing dehydration, I mean, at least they say that it's a big problem. But the best way to prevent it is to actually encourage people to drink. That is the key thing. Just encourage them to drink. And you think it's quite easy to encourage people to drink. It's actually not that straightforward. So you have to kind of think of what it is that will help them or attract it to, you know, them to drink. Finally, I want to say that um, even though dehydration is a big thing, I think we're not paying enough attention to it. Uh, I think there needs to be a drive for a health promotion regarding hydration, like any other thing. It's something that is so simple, yet it's really costing us a lot with all the things that are associated with it. So it is, we need to, the government, everybody needs to push this. We need to increase the agenda and promote it as a health issue that needs the attention. People need to know the benefit. I mean, with the HUK project that we have been involved in, uh, older adults tell us, oh, I didn't know that would help me. I didn't know the hydration could do this for me. And when we go back, because most of them, we have gone back to see them twice. Amy would actually confirm this. The second time we visit them, they're offering us like drink once we get into their home. They're saying, I've got a new cup. I've got a new bottle now. So they just need to understand the importance. They need to also know the consequences. If I don't drink enough, this is it. And with that understanding, people choose to drink more. That makes sense. And also, I guess what I'm hearing as well, Florence, is that it's not just about the person, it's about the people around the person. Yes. So and healthcare so, professionals, yeah, carers, exactly, exactly. friends, family exactly. members, all of and us. All of them. Mm. And how do you change their behaviour, though? How do you get them to encourage the person? That would be my, I guess, another question. Because so often I, I work with families and they say, oh, well, it's, it's the person because they just don't drink it. And I kind of, I spend time saying, oh, well, you need to work with the person and you need, it's partly on the, you know, you need to do something. And actually it can be as hard to get the people around the person to change what they're doing. Is that fair, Florence? Uh, I will say yes and no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I believe that when people are educated, they make yes. informed decisions. So some of these carers, family members, they also don't drink well enough, you know, and they don't understand how hydration could be of benefit to them. And sometimes they don't even know uh, what their loved ones will like best. We know that with dementia, and I think at least I'm not an expert in that, but I do hear that sometimes with dementia, there's a change to the taste board. So what people like before, they don't like it anymore. And it's, it's left to the family members, it's left to carers to find out what else this person can actually have. One of the people we went to visit, uh, I mean, in this our HUK project, uh, the wife just kept going on about, of, oh, how he loves, you know, to drink coffee all the time. And this is a guy that has just been out of hospital, you know, uh, with stroke. He's just recovering. So uh, communication wasn't kind of really, you know, a lot, it, it, was, it could just mutter a few words. But when we showed him pictures, <laughs> we had this drink menu, one of the things we made uh, as a resource for older adult living in community. And we're showing him pictures of different hot drinks and cold drinks. Like he was really keen about one. And we said, which one? He said, Holics, Holics, Holics. The wife said, Holics? He said, yes, I would like Holics. 
And so he said, oh, <laughs> hydration people now are going to make me go, you know, shopping for my husband for Holics. But he shows that he's had it before. He loved it. But maybe a long time ago, she didn't even know. And I mean, these are people that have been together for, I mean, maybe 30, 40 years. And the husband is showing she's getting to know something different about him. So I think it's about education. I think it's about exposure. I think it's about promotion. And I think it's about everybody, you know, uh, being responsible and being active, not passive. When they're active as carers or healthcare professionals, they will go the extra length to find out what will make a difference. We found this in our care home studies, honestly, and we know that it can also do the same for community older adults. And your comment, I've, I've experienced that a lot where people say to me, but his fate, he used to love curries and he used to love, or he used to hate curries and he used to hate sweet things. He used to hate them. So I, I don't give them to him because he won't like them. And then they, and then you, he'll go to, a, the person will go to a day centre or a, be in a residential facility and he'll be eating really strong flavoured curries and drinking the sweetest things in the world. And that can be quite surprising to the carers and family members and I often spend time so with my speech therapy hat on we've there is some research that's out there that's kind of suggests that stronger flavors can really stimulate a swallow better so things like so we often I often say to people think so a sweet flavor in a drink or a sour flavor in a drink can be more stimulating than um just water and they and then family members see that actually the person is able to drink more efficiently um so we often recommend kind of stronger flavors as a way of providing more semantic information to trigger the swallow um uh, more strongly but um that can be really difficult for people to take on board as you're saying florence because of that person you know their their perception of the person as a person and their likes and dislikes you know it's tricky isn't it but I find it really useful to think you know about the motivation you're right if if, if people are informed and understand and going right back around to what Elise said at the beginning I mean I didn't know that our that our body kind of I don't know you, you use the technique digests water differently or doesn't retain water in the same way I, I didn't know that and, and I didn't before my PhD. I had no idea about kind of the importance of drinking, the importance of dehydration. And it goes back to what Florence is saying is we need to get that information mm. out there. And that's what we're doing. We've designed or collaboratively designed posters to raise awareness of this one in four risk of dehydration to older mm. people, which will go to about 400 health and social care sites um, in Norfolk and Waveney. And hopefully... NHS Digital, as long as um, I've been able to contact them and they've referred on to Department of Health and Social Care Minister um, MP to um, hopefully take that forward across the UK because that was a feedback from our older people in the workshops is they're not going to benefit from these posters and they really feel that this needs to be out there and raise awareness of it to healthcare professionals and social care professionals as well as the general public. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think go on, Amy. going back to, as Elise just said, but also as Florence said, you know, yes, this is a big issue for older people, but it's just a general public health issue. And one of the ways that we got sort of a, a buy-in from an older adult was that, you know, he's 
said that he was going to speak to his son about that we'd been round and seen him and then the next time we went round it was well I've got this bottle and my son's got his bottle and you know we've set each other the goal of finishing it each day so it's not not necessarily about getting the people around the older person to tell them what to do it's about doing it together doing it as a lifestyle change rather than a um telling him what to telling them what to do um because that was a, something that we heard from a number of of older men that we saw was that you know my, my wife's always telling me but when it, they were doing it together and it was something that was more collaborative and fun there's a lot more buy-in from people and then obviously you're preparing the younger generations to incorporate hydration which can hopefully prevent dehydration when they get older mm, absolutely and i think that's a great idea to also promote it to you know all the health professionals you know nursing staff care staff allied health i'm sure that that information would sit really well within their repertoire of information sharing i talk about eating and drinking quite a lot <laughs> with people and that could be sort of facts i could easily um you know insert into the health education that we provide so i know i'm sure that um, that could be something we could use. And Dan, I know you've been doing lots of work um, in your role in this partnership between Age UK and Norwich, um, Age UK Norwich and the University of East Anglia. And as part of that, um, now I, I want to know how your relationship came about, but I wondered, is part of your role about promotion as well? So I've asked you two questions, how mean of me. Yeah, so um, a number of years ago, we introduced health coaching as part of our service range. And that was generally from um, so many clients referred to us who were not physically able to participate in community activities because of their health. So the system around them, uh, GPs, hospital, um, you know, would just very simply make a referral to the community. That's where all the solutions were. But if you've just come out of hospital and you've just had a hip surgery, you know, you fun functionally cannot sometimes even get out of the chair, let alone, you know, uh, go to the community centre and things like that. So we have physical health instructors who support people one on one, um, often taking, if you like, um, step down instruction from physiotherapists, OTs um, to progress that, you know, into the home to make sure people um, are doing the exercises safely and then obviously that then broadened into partnerships with the, the UEA around um, the Norris Institute for Healthy Aging evaluating uh, the impact of our coaching on, phys on physical health levels and then that's then developed as you can you know naturally understand into diet and then this hydration project was something that we look to collaborate on but um you know, a lot of the clients uh, we see are fresh out of either health or social care situations um, or living on their own. And I think one thing not been touched on today is, you know, the impact of loneliness. Um, and there very well may not be lots of research around this, but, you know, those social scenarios where people may be offered a drink, maybe they're mirroring when you're living on your own and not exposed to that, you know, that's bound to be part of the picture. Um, so, yeah, um, we're very keen to look at all things health um, as an organisation. We are trying to make Norwich an age-friendly city and taking the World Health Organisation age-friendly communities principle forward. And uh, a big part of that is about health and independence and, you know, living as, as an active age and a healthy ageing as you can be.
And as Amy touched on, that starts well ahead of your later life. Um, and, you know, we can see from population data how, you know, actually we've probably got a population who's never been as unwell as we have. And we've got some big changes to make. And hydration is an area we can prevent. And, you know, associations with dementia and physical fitness and things like that, I think we do have to put more effort into how we can solve things that can be solved now. And, um, you know, a good example, um, when I go to my dentist, there's a water cooler in the corner of the room and they encourage you to drink. But if I go to my GP practice, there isn't one. So there's systematic things around environment as well. And um, as well as that one-to-one -one stuff around helping people make the right decisions. You know, we have a water cooler in our outpatient department, <laughs> but nobody takes a drink because nobody knows it's a water cooler. And it, <laughs> and it looks like it's only for staff members, but it's not. It's like this mysterious machine. So, I could, you know, I hear what you're saying. I think there needs to be stuff done, doesn't there, to kind of really advocate for, for um, and promote this in all environments. Yeah, I, I completely see that. And uh, But I, it's so interesting how you're involved in this, Dan. I feel like I might need to have a conversation with you after this uh, podcast because there's so much work to be done um, between what happens with the health and social care workers and what happens to people in real life. Yes, and I think, you know, there's a very, very big gap between what happens in the health space versus what happens in the care space. And actually, the you know the bubble of the population is ultimately living on their own without either support sometimes, and I think um, there's also you know the wider determinants of health around, you know, just because you know we're, we've got an older population doesn't mean that they're misusing alcohol, doesn't mean they're misusing drugs, doesn't mean that they're overprescribed. So there's other factors that can really impact on on health and well-being, and I think you know I'd I'd absolutely love to see our screening programs, um, especially maybe 40 plus, start picking up wider determinants of health. You know, we should include things like hydration, should include things like loneliness and looking at where you live, um, the impact of your relationships, because they, they have a trade-off to your well-being and your health. So I think we need to get you know, the research shows all these things, but they're not in practice yet. But, you know, through this project, I really hope, you know, I'll be um, using my uh, Age UK network to get um, this shared across there. And, and also the things I'm involved with, the integrated care system about, you know, hospital discharge, about um, supporting people who are whether living with dementia and other conditions. Um, and I think one key area is about recovery. You know, um, we've got a lot of people who have, you know, comorbidities. They're going in and out of hospital and, and things like hydration, eating well are absolutely critical to their recovery. But then they're sort of, you know, assumed that we have to work really hard to make sure they're, they're there. They're, they're, you know, fundamentally part of their recovery. Thank you all for raising that here, because I think um, this is a really great forum to raise this with other researchers and anyone listening to these podcast so thank you all for working not only today on the podcast but working more broadly to raise the pro profile of this issue so I'm gonna recap a little bit on the takeaways from today's show which are essentially probably the headline is drink more <laughs> and um, I guess 
um, what you we've been talking about is that older people um, often don't drink enough. In fact, the level of dehydration is really significant amongst older people. And actually there are huge health risks, in fact, more so amongst older people. And um, we know that older people might uh, be more at risk of not drinking for lots of different reasons, including cognitive issues, including loneliness, including uh, misconceptions like not, you know, not drinking too late at night. Um, and actually there's lots of things that they and we can do as a community to support people and ourselves to drink more. Um, and perhaps a really useful strategy is to become more informed um, because I think knowing the risks of dehydration can help people understand why to avoid it. I think that's a key message from today, isn't it? So I'm afraid that is all that we have time for today. Um, and if you just can't get enough on this topic, visit the Dementia Researcher website where you will find a full transcript, biographies on all our guests, blogs, and lots and lots more on this topic. And I'd like to thank our incredible guests, Elise, Amy, Florence, and Dan. Thank you everybody for being here today. Thank and you. Thank you. No, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. I'm Dr. Anna Volkmer and you have been listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. The Dementia Researcher podcast was brought to you by University College London with generous funding from the UK National Institute for Health Research, Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Alzheimer's Association, and Race Against Dementia. Please subscribe, leave us a review, and register on our website for full access to all our great resources. DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk